to the message. We're in the middle of Romans, um, <clears throat> and uh, we're going to push pause a little bit here. Uh, so don't turn to Romans. Um, we felt like this is a good spot to maybe bring us into a place where we can clarify something we've been talking a lot about. Now, I know a lot of us have heard the word over and over again. Uh, I know a lot of us probably think uh, or may even know a little bit more about the word uh, than some, but uh, it's a word that we feel is important to sit on in this moment in the middle of Romans chapter 6. It'll hopefully set up things that are coming next week and down the road as we continue through Romans. We're hoping that if we clarify it and and we bring how it's multifaceted to to the limelight, that that hopefully you'll understand how much deeper God's love is for us. And that word is sin. And we've touched on sin. You know, we started way back at the beginning in chapter 1 and talked about sin and how it, it kind of permeates who we are. We talked about its scope in Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's an archery term. It's, it's that arrow not making it to the target. I've heard an illustration. I've actually used the illustration. It's like the best swimmer in the world jumping off in California and thinking that they're going to be able to swim to Hawaii. It's impossible. It's falling short of what that plan for us was, God's plan for us. We've talked about its origin. So in chapter 5, we sat in there in verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We talked about Adam being uh, at that point of origin where sin started and how it really just, it's covered all of us. Even though we weren't in the garden, even though we weren't the ones who sinned, it has its effect and its consequences. We even talked in chapter 5, uh, and we've been doing this throughout all of Romans, we've talked about the solution. In chapter 5, verse 6 through 9, it says this, For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his own love in us that while we were still sinners, I want to stop there. We did nothing while we were still a mess. Because it really, and here's the honest truth, and you're going to hear more about There's nothing we can do about it. It's a mess that we sit in, we have partially made, and there's nothing we can do about it. And God did not say, hey, get cleaned up, and then I'll send Jesus. He didn't say, hey, I need you to start working on this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That he paid the price, bought us back from sin. So we've been talking about sin a lot, and we felt like this spot in Romans lends itself really well to maybe get a better definition, to get a better picture of what it looks like, to understand what Scott was really sitting in last week when in Romans chapter 6 we read this, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law but under grace. We hope that today, that when we go into sin, that you will go, that's what it means when we talk about the Father's love. That's what it means when we talk about Jesus' sacrifice. Let me pray for us. Father God, we just come before you, Lord. I pray today that that you would speak this message. Father, that, that we would hear your voice and your grace. Let us understand the depth of our brokenness, so that we might understand the depths of your love. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's not, not necessarily an easy message to give. I, I've given this message a ton. Usually, and this is back in my, my youth ministry years, it's usually to a room full of, of high school or junior high kids. Um, it's usually in the middle of a camp week. There's actually some folks that are no longer kids that are sitting in this room that have sat through this camp week. And I usually give this opportunity to build into it. Talk a little bit about Jesus and who he is, kind of like this celebrity and this rock star. And then this night happens. This message happens. And it's about sin and, and how broken we are. <clears throat> and, and in that atmosphere, I, I, I share the, the power of sin in our lives and what it's really done with us and God. And then I leave them there. Stuck. I, I don't go into the hope that, that most of us know and, and what we've heard in Romans through Jesus. I leave them there and I, I want them to kind of soak it up because here's the deal. I don't think we can truly understand Christ's love, the Father's love, without knowing what's broken. It, two illustrations come to mind. The first one is this. It's, it's that of a mechanic. So my dad was a mechanic. I grew up in a, in a house where things got fixed. He could fix anything. He worked on jet engines. He worked on trains. And when you have a vibration or something's wrong with your car, you need to take it and get it diagnosed. You need to know because coming off the showroom floor, it shouldn't have any problems. It should be ready to go. But if something starts to vibrate or something's broken, you take it to mechanic. The mechanic then diagnoses the problem. And then they fix it. Sometimes that problem, that maybe that shaking in the wheel, is just a symptom of something much deeper and bigger. It, it could be a bad transmission that's in going into the drive line, that's in going into the wheels, then it's going into your, your steering wheel. The next illustration, and, and I know that this might strike hard at some who are living this in their present tense, but bear with me, is that of a physician. You know, if you're feeling bad, if, if there's a pain, if there's an ache, if there's something that's just not right about you, maybe it's even more so, maybe it's a lump or, or a sore, wouldn't you want to know what's causing that? Wouldn't you need to know what is really the causation so that then you could fix it? Or, in this case, have the physician fix it for you. You see, until we know it's broken, we can't walk into this place of understanding the fix. And that's why I feel like this message today is so important. It's a hard message to give because one of those things that I left those kids with, and I'm going to say really frankly here, is that the heart of this sin problem, this brokenness, the, the ultimate consequence is eternal separation from the Lord. And in our culture, we don't always say it out loud, but I had to say it, and I'll say it now, and, and I'll be unap unapologetic about it. If you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord, if you do not face this sin problem head on through the great physician, you will go to hell, a real and tangible place. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is the sin problem. We're going to break it down, but we have to go to the very beginning. And we've talked about this a little bit. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis 3. 
We're going to go back to where sin entered the world. And, and Scott alluded to that a little bit when we were in chapter 5. But what took place is Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord. They were deceived by the serpent. And they ate from the tree. They had one rule. In our household, sometimes we, we, we get mad at Adam and Eve and go, come on, you had one rule. This whole world would be a whole lot different if you just didn't go to the tree. But they did, and they broke that rule. They ate that fruit. And here's where we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 7. Then, the, uh, then their eyes were open. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God was among them in the tree in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to them, Where are you? And he, Adam, said, I heard you. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, God, and this is God in his all-knowingness. He already knew the answer to this, but I love how he asks it. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to? The man said to the woman whom you gave me, uh, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman then said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, and then he goes into this consequences. First to the serpent, you will be cursed among all animals. You'll slither around on your belly. Man will strike you with his heel. You'll strike at his heel. His heel. He'll crush your head. You'll bite him. Then he goes to the woman. He says to the woman, you, you will now have to experience pain. This is part of the anger in our house. It's like, wait a minute, was there no pain before this? But he says to the woman, listen, you now through childbirth, you're going to feel pain and you're going to be under the submission, even persecution of your husband. And you, Adam, oh, even to eat, to have bread, you will have to toil and bleed. You will have to work for everything. I'm going to be frank again. Their job, Adam's job, was to have babies and to name animals before sin. Tend this incredible, incredible garden that I gave you, Adam. Name animals and be fruitful. And now, to be even in survival mode, you're going to bust your knuckles and you're going to bleed. And even so much so that the ground under you is cursed. This is what happened when sin entered the world. These are just some of those consequences. I could break it down even more for you. If you look at it, first there was an act. There was, there was a commission of sin. The serpent lied, but the serpent's lie was just a slight tweaking of the truth. Still a lie. That was his act. Our act, and I'm going to now lump us into it, was then disobeying God. Believing a lie and disobeying God. So there was an act. And then, and then after the act, there were consequences. Look at some of these consequences. They felt shame. 
There was no shame before this. They hid, and there's something about that. You know, one of the biggest consequences of sin, one of the things that we face the most when we sin is we want to hide. We want to put up a wall between us and everybody else because we don't want to be found out. There was no hiding before sin. There was no need. Adam became accusatory. She made me do it. It was her fault. And then, and then Eve passes the buck. No, no, no. It, it was the serpent's fault. The consequences of these sins even go deeper into the physical. We talked a little bit about the curse of the serpent. We talked a little bit about the pain in birth, the work, the earth. Romans 8, which we'll be going to in a couple of weeks, Romans 8, 19, talks about that the earth is also among us waiting for all of this to be made right again. Because it was hurt in sin. And then there's one ultimate, ultimate consequence to this sin. And, and, and I'll say it this way to people all the time. It was the breaking and destruction of the garden relationship with God. The very end of that section in chapter 3, God casts them out of the garden. He puts a lock on the gate and he puts guards at its entrance. You see, the ultimate problem with sin is now we are no longer in holy communion fully with our God. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to, as we continue to go through this, I want to be able to say something uh, that may feel a little contradictory. For us to get a big picture of sin and how it's multifaceted, let's take Jesus out of the equation for a second. I know that's hard. We've been talking a lot about grace, and we've been talking a lot about justification and salvation through Romans. But for a second, this is where they are. They're in a place now where their relationship, their true home, and their true identity has been destroyed by sin. This is where I would leave teenagers at camp. I would leave them here and say, and there's nothing we can do about it. But if there was, would you take it? a hard pill to swallow when you realize that there's nothing we can do. We can't fix this sin problem. We can't take care of this. Scripture puts it two ways. The first one, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give you a word picture a little bit here, uh, and use sin uh, lowercase. And the big Greek word for that is hamartima. Hamartama is, is the sins that we commit. It's the evil deeds that we do. You know, when pre-Christ, and, and let's be honest, even after Christ, my, my sins were anger and lust and pride. Those were the sins, and, and, and those were the symptoms of, of a bigger problem. These, these are the things we, we commit, the sins we commit, but here's the deal. They're also the sins of omission. The things that we don't do that we should know are right. Adam did it when he didn't stop Eve from taking of the fruit. These are the things that we do or don't do that, that continue to feed the problem of sin. 
Going back to that illustration of the physician, uh, the lady who was instrumental in leading me to Christ, um, in my college years, uh, she had cancer, lung cancer, and it was terminal. And I remember sitting with her in, in her hospital room, and, and I was struggling with something. I struggled with things early on in college a lot, like a lot of us do. And, and she didn't miss the opportunity to drive home the picture of sin for me again. While she sat there, she goes, Sean, see these sores? That's not my problem. But that's the sins you commit. That's the things that people see. That's the things that you do. Those are just the symptoms. My problem is I have cancer. That's how it's presenting itself. That's the hamartima. That is sin's lowercase that lead into the bigger problem, which is the hamartia. This is sin, all caps. This is inescapable sin. You can't get away from this. This is the sin that Adam brought to all of us in the garden. This is the sin that separates us from God. It's the broken relationship with the Father. This is what keeps us from our true identity, our true home. This is the sin. Even if you were able to stop doing sin's lowercase, all those little things, I, I'm going to stop being angry. Well, I had a little brother. That wasn't going to happen. And even if I could go a week, go, man, I wasn't angry at all this week. I am super proud of myself. Oh, I just sinned. I can't escape these little things. But even if I could, even if you were the perfect person, there's still this, all caps sin, that separates you from God. This is the sin that we can't get away from. And each of us have this broken relationship. Remember, we've taken Jesus out of the equation. We're starting from scratch. Pretend like you don't know what he did. This is the problem. Isaiah 59.2 says it this way, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. This is the thing that's ultimate and final about sin. This is what keeps us from residing with God. This is what Jesus speaks of when he wants us to understand the power of sin and what it ultimately does eternally. And that puts us in a place separate from his presence. He tells a story of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus is this poor man who is begged, but he obviously loves God. And he ends up in heaven. And the rich man, in, in all of his sin, ends up in hell. And Jesus tells the parable of the, the rich man saying to Abraham in heaven, please send Lazarus with just a drop of water from my lips. Send me some comfort. And Abraham says, no, that's not how this works. Your spots, your geography... His in heaven, rich man, yours in hell, is locked and eternal. There's nothing you can do now. You missed it. And the rich man says, okay, okay, I, I, maybe I'll accept that, but can you send him back to my family? Let them know the problem. I don't want them here. And here's where it picks up in Luke chapter 16. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. You see, God has been trying to get these folks, all of us, to the doctor's office. He's been trying to tell us, listen, you're not showroom quality anymore. 
but I have a fix for you. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You see, what he was saying is, listen, listen. They've had all these chances. We even took it a step further in chapter 1 of Romans by saying even creation cries out, saying there is a God, there is something bigger, so that no one will have an excuse. You see, there's nothing we can do about this, but God has been trying to say, listen, I'm giving you things to remind you to come home. I'm giving you things that can remind you that you need a great physician. He does it in simple ways. The first way is, is just looking at the Ten Commandments. He's trying to remind them, listen, you broke this relationship, and I'm trying to give you opportunities to at least put a Band-Aid on it. You look at it, no other gods, no idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain. So he's taking the garden relationship and saying, listen, let's try to heal this a little bit so you can be with me at some level. Those rules are for us and God, that relationship. Then he goes on and says, remember the Sabbath. And he's saying, listen, you're going to, the Sabbath, God didn't need to take the break, but that was for us because now we're broken and the earth is cursed. And because we're finite and mortal people, we need to take a breath. It's just pointing out again that we're broken. Then he goes on into some of the sins we commit Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie about your neighbor. Do not covet. Do not envy. He's saying, listen, I need to remind you that you have to do these things because you broke things so much that now you're committing sins against everyone. Mom and dad, neighbors, the people that you interact with, you're taking their things, you're hurting them. You see, God gave the law as these indicators for us to get into the doctor's office. He gave us the law, and it goes further into Moses' law, which is over 630 rules that the Jews had to keep. There was no way they were going to keep it. For crying out loud, Adam and Eve couldn't keep one. I have a hard time with six. The law was there to point towards the final solution. It was to let us know, listen, you're broken so much that the only way you're going to get fixed is by finding Christ. Galatians 3 9, Paul says it this way. When then the, why then the law? It was added because of our transgressions. So it was added because we made a mess of it. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. This law is temporary until Jesus comes. It's to make you understand the power of the Father's love. In verse 21 in Galatians 3, it goes on. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So what he's saying is, listen, if there was any of you that could keep all 630, then you wouldn't need the Lord. The law was given to you for you to realize, I can't. Please, God, do something. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that that promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 
This law, these indicators, sacrificial burnt offerings. We talked about that in the Samuel scripture that Jake read for you. That was one of the ways that was trying to point us back to, we can't do this. Ten Commandments, prophets. God has been continually trying to get us into the, into the shop for ultimate repair. And the problem is we often ignore it. We have said, no, God, I don't need that. I can take care of this on my own. I'm not as bad as that person, so surely I'm okay. But this sin problem, those two facets of this multi-level, multi-piece component of sin tells us that even if I stop doing the stuff, I'm still marred, scarred, and separate from the Father, from the creator of the universe. So then what? So then what? Unlike those times where I spoke to high school kids, I'm not going to leave you there. You see, we insert now the thing that we've been hearing in Romans throughout this entire series. Christ fixes the problem. But let me help you give a better picture. So I've asked for some folks to help me out. Uh, first, I've asked Lanny Jones. Uh, Lanny's going to come on up here. I've asked Lanny to represent God for us. I told him not to get a big head, but Karen said it might be happening a little bit. But I've asked Lanny to come up here and take his position as God. You see, this picture that you're about to have is what the garden relationship should look like. A father who is in our presence, who we can interact with personally. You see, we're, we're here, so us and him. This is what the garden relationship looked like. We could interact with him. We didn't have to hide. We didn't feel shame. But then it all fell apart and the wheels came off. I've asked the worship team to help me with this part. What we then did through Adam and then continued with our issues is we started to build this wall. Now I have to say that, that the worship team's just grabbing boxes randomly. These may not represent them personally, but they do represent all of us. This wall gets built by the things that we do but even if we could stop doing these things or having these consequences, some of these things are just things that came with sin. You look at war. We weren't supposed to have war with each other. It was supposed to be peace. Even if we could stop doing these things, this wall doesn't go away because we did something. Now, if I wanted to make this picture even more clear for you, the reality is I'd have every single one of you stand up, move your chair, and face that direction. Because pre-Christ, without him, that's where we sit completely separate from the Father's love. This wall is infinitely wide, infinitely tall, infinitely deep, infinitely thick. The God of the universe has been hidden from our eyes, and we can't see him. This is the power of sin that now in Romans 6 says has no dominion over us. Why? Well, here's the next piece. 
I've asked Isaac Kaufman to come up and represent Christ for us. You see, this sin wall, this right here, has no power over us. It has no power over us, not because of anything we did. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I didn't take this down. If I took this down, I would have to boast about it. I don't have anything to boast about. This wall was collapsed by the Son of the Father. Father. 